This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria interviews Doug Garland, the author of The Tall Poppy Syndrome. What do you think Tiger Woods, Benjamin Franklin, and Martha Stewart have in common? The Tall Poppy Syndrome reveals much about a little-known aspect of human nature. TPS explains why so many of our heroes ultimately fall from grace. Doug Garland has been studying the phenomenon for over 10 years after he experienced it firsthand in his own career. His work brings awareness and clarity to a hidden and often misunderstood human condition. Using both recent examples and case studies throughout history, we can begin to better understand the emotional damage and challenges tall poppies face. In this episode, you'll learn more about the tall poppy syndrome and how it relates to bullying, jealousy, envy, resentment, and schadenfreude. Dr. Douglas Garland practiced orthopedic surgery for 37 years in Southern California. In addition to serving as medical director of a total joint service for five years, he also served as chief of four service units, including spinal cord injury and traumatic brain injury at a nationally renowned rehabilitation center. Doug was also a clinical professor of orthopedics at the University of Southern California. To learn more about Doug, please visit his website, DougGarland.com. Here is the interview with Doug Garland. In your own words, who is Douglas Garland? I'm a retired orthopedic surgeon who lives in the central coast of California. We'll be talking about a topic, a new book, and the topic is the Tall Poppy Syndrome, TPS. But before we get into this topic, I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off record. The first one is, what does it mean to be a human being, Douglas? I think. to basically have goodwill towards your neighbor and to love, not judge, which is part of the aspect of the tall poppy syndrome is more judgment than loving. Topic of judgment, that is um, a big one. We'll be exploring that a bit more in details in the moment. Before that, let me ask you some other questions. What do you think the purpose of life is, the human experience? What is the destination? I think the uh, meaning of life is mostly just having purpose. And that purpose can be anything as long as you make 
your work have purpose so that it doesn't matter if you're the CEO or the janitor, as long as that particular job that you're doing has has meaning and purpose. And so in a sense, we're all equal because we're all doing a job and we're all, all doing the best we can. Yes, I love this idea. So do you believe that we need to find our unique purpose and our unique gifts, or in a way we are already doing what we are supposed to do in life? In my opinion, I don't think that's how it works. I don't think you can seek happiness. I think happiness is the result of what you're doing. So that if you are doing any activity, uh, you need to be enjoying that activity and the happiness will come from that comes from doing a good job yes i agree i love the way you connect happiness to what we do just living our purpose that is the way to be happy i agree a hundred percent and my next warm-up question is about freedom what is the meaning of freedom to you what is to be free Uh, Freedom for me is freedom for, not freedom from. And by that, I mean that it is not freedom for response from responsibility, but freedom for responsibility to take care of yourself and others. I love this idea too. So by taking care of ourselves and others, that is a choice that we are making, so that ended up being the freedom that we might be looking for, most of us. Well, that that really makes you free. In America, we so much emphasize the individual, but it's really not freedom from everything, from laws and society, but it's a freedom for society. It's it's a kind of the concept of uh, Jack Kennedy with his speech, ask not you can do, but ask what you can do for your country. And I was saying that limited it to America. So my freedom for was freedom for everybody. What a wonderful idea. Yeah. Other country needs help. We need to help them too, not just us. And my next question, speaking of the world and the the current situation, at this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? Uh, Cooperation. We need to help each other. We're We're not an island. It goes back to working together, collaboration and cooperation. Yes. More freedom for, freedom to help each other, not freedom from, but freedom for. I love that, Douglas. I love that. And speaking of love, what is love to you? Lack of judgment, I think, mostly. More more accepting of who people are. Accept them for what they are. Well, I love that you connected love, the idea of love, to the non-judgmental state of being, the state of mind. We judge everybody now, and um, there should be more love and less judgment. And that brings me, I have so many questions to ask you. How do you think we can learn? What is the beginning stages of learning to do that? Well, it is all, in the end, all about self-awareness. 
and we'll go into some of them maybe with the talk itself, but envy is the comparison emotion. And so that whenever we approach any person, envy automatically, it's a comparison emotion. So it automatically allows you to look at somebody's dress, their appearance, and you you don't, it's such a subconscious emotion, you don't even uh, realize what you're doing, but you've already made a judgment on that person. It's like the cover of the book. And that's why I'm so big on not judging people because we knew we do that immediately when we meet somebody. So I'm bigger on doing less judgment and learning about the person and loving the person rather than judging the person. Mm, true. I heard from somebody before, I think one of my guests, she or he said that we need to replace judgment with curiosity. So that's exactly what you said about just wanting to learn more about the person. Because understanding leads to love, ultimately. I agree with that. Um, I mean, you during your judgmental process, you either do a positive curiosity or a negative curiosity. Well, I'm not interested in that person. I'm going to move on and don't wait for the next judgment to decide if you want to continue the conversation. And all starts with if we are to become less judgmental and more open to life itself, you mentioned self-awareness. And I would, we probably don't want to talk about politics, but that's the first judgmental thing we do right now. Is, and then we've automatically turned half our population off. So we, we need less judgment once again. That also creates separation, right, Douglas? The judgment is all about separating groups and humans from one another. Correct. Uh, countries, peoples, tribes, everything. I have one more warm-up question for you. What, where, and who is God to you? Well, I mean, God is everywhere because, in essence, he should be in you. So if you are in God, then God is going to be everywhere because you see the world as a reflection of yourself. So in a way, if we become more godly-like, then there's no judgment because God doesn't judge. That's correct. If you're at peace with yourself, God is everywhere. So powerful. That is such a wonderful way of living, navigating this life, this adventure. Let's talk about your work. And my first question had to be this one. How did you become a writer? I became a writer actually in my, during my orthopedic residency. I, I was in Vietnam actually, and I was a MASH surgeon on the DMZ. And after a year of that, I had seen a lot of orthopedic surgery and had a lot of orthopedic surgical experience. When I uh, returned to the States, I be formally became my orthopedic, uh, orthopedic training. And since I had had two years of orthopedics in the military, a lot of the training was not new to me. So I expressed myself in writing. I actually published three scientific articles 
during my residency, which is fairly unusual because you have to spend so much time in your training itself. And then I did a fellowship, which was very in orthopedics uh, rehabilitation, which part of your training in that is to do scientific research. And then I enjoyed it so much, I just made that a big aspect of my orthopedic career. Talk to me for a moment about the inspiration and intention of writing your book, The Tall Poppy Syndrome. Well, the tall poppy syndrome is actually a culture of phenomena. It's worldwide and it's unrecognized in the United States. And I decided that I should be the one to try and introduce the concept to America. My original theory was that America is so unique to the rest of the world because we embrace individualism and the rest of the world for the most part doesn't do that it's they're more collective societies or more dictatorships and the individual is not worshipped so i thought one reason that we didn't have the tall poppy syndrome was because our original government was set up to sort of almost worship the individual I never heard about it. <laughs> this is uh, new to me. Yeah, let me ask you this question later about the countries. The, the, the tall poppy syndrome is uh, more prevalent. I would like to know that. But before that, let me ask you a fundamental question. So what is the tall poppy syndrome? So the tall poppy syndrome is a metaphor. And what it means is you look at a poppy field and you see one poppy that's taller than the other. So there is a tendency in most countries to cut that poppy down so that all poppies are uniform size. So most societies are fairly egalitarian or um, want people to be fairly equal in stature. And America has never been like that. So it's prevalent worldwide. And... When I first began to study it, I wondered why the syndrome was so known in America when it's been documented from antiquity to present and in most countries. Yeah, that's such an interesting thing. So I'd like to ask you more questions, but uh, let me ask you this one. What is your own experience with TPS? Well, I, I became interested in it when I was doing academic medicine and I had been at a um, specialized orthopedic institute for 30 years and quite a few papers and become an international and international speaker. And I had been at a meeting and I came back and all of a sudden my office, I had, was uh, administrator of a large number of beds, 150, and my office had been moved from the kind of corner room with the window down to a cubby hole and I was I had no reason why that occurred but I uh, discussed it with my wife and she said well maybe that's a sign that you need to change your life a little bit so I decided that I would resign my position at that 
hospital, which included a university position. I was a full professor of orthopedics. And I called friends in Australia who I was going to visit to help him set up a spinal cord injury program, which was my expertise at that time. And they couldn't, and I told them that I wasn't coming. And they wondered why. And I said, well, I've just resigned from my post. And they said, why are you doing that? And I said, well, I'm not sure, but they moved my office. So I think there's a message here. And they said, you've been tall poppied. And I said, what? And they said, you've been tall poppied. So I said, what does that mean? And they said, you've been cut down to size. So I actually resigned my post and I finished my private practice uh, of about 10 more years duration, but I couldn't get the idea out of my mind of what the tall poppy syndrome was and why I was tall poppy. So I retired five years ago, and that's when I began my journey to study the tall poppy syndrome and write about it. Yeah, and I'm glad you did. So that has a lot to do with um, envy. I know you talk about some of these, yeah, bowling, jealousy, envy, resentment. Those are the emotions, right, Douglas, associated to the tall poppy syndrome. Yes, Well, when we talk about cutting some people down or we see somebody that we want to cut down, that's usually an emotional response. And the always the first comparison emotion is envy. So envy drives the tall poppy syndrome. So if you look at somebody has a better car than you have, uh, you become envious of that, perhaps. Now, there's thing you need to know about envy, and most people don't appreciate it, envy was one of the original seven deadly sins. But with time, the envy is now divided into good envy and bad envy. So good envy would be if I saw the person with the nice car that I would decide if I wanted that. And I, here in America, I would have my option to work longer hours, work overtime, work Saturdays or Sundays, spend less, and eventually emulate that person and become more like them, which in the end, I improve myself. Bad envy is usually comes from low self-esteem, lack of mobility, and Instead of trying to improve myself because I feel I can't, I key the car or I stab the tires. So I try to destroy that person's happiness. That really is what drives bad envy. That's why you cut somebody down. The envy idea word sounds um, negative and unpleasant and not beneficial for any of us. So I'm wondering if there's a difference between envy and admiration when we look at somebody and we want it to be like them because they're so great at what they do. Well, uh, that is good envy. We admire somebody for their good looks, their good taste, their good workout habits, um, the way they appreciate the environment or the world. And we want to... Uh, emulate them and become more like them. 
So, and that's how the world really improves. And that's really, in the end, what a, a true tall poppy is, somebody that has those characteristics. So the tall poppy syndrome is driven by two main factors, the envy, which is bad envy, which is lack of self-esteem on the enviers part. Or if you do have a tall poppy, they do egregious activity. And so through justification, the tall poppy is then cut down. So the tall poppy can be because because of bad behavior in the envier, or it can be because of bad behavior in the tall poppy themselves. So both need self-awareness. The cutter needs to be very self-aware of his bad envy and the tall poppy. And we see that all the time, especially in America with our business leaders, politicians, movie stars, athletes, we see some type of bad behavior, egregious behavior, and then the public wants to cut them down. What do you suggest? What are the solution for this situation? Well, first of all, you have to you have to understand a little, little bit about emotions. And America and probably the world really doesn't understand emotions. And, and there was about 20 years ago, emotional intelligence hit the business world. A man wrote about emotional intelligence and said that it wasn't all about IQ, it was about emotional intelligence as well. And we need more self-awareness. And the self-aware businessman is very, very important to being successful in his company, perhaps more to success than working hard. So that's the first thing is to be aware of emotions. And just as we're trying to define envy, people confuse envy with jealousy. So jealousy is a reason to cut somebody down, but envy and jealousy are completely different. Jealousy involves three people, and it is you lose something. The jealous person is afraid they're going to lose a friend, a spouse, somebody in a relationship. So one is wants something, that's envy, and jealousy is actually afraid of losing something. Something, So they, they're interchanged in America, but they shouldn't be interchanged. They're two very distinct emotions. And then, of course, all the negative emotions, the so-called dark emotions, which is bad envy, anger, resentment, revenge, All those drive the tall poppy syndrome. And the only way you can prevent that is to be be aware of it, of yourself and what you're doing. You have to be aware of the person who may be egregious, but as the third person, as you or I are looking at somebody and once again making a judgment, we're making a judgment against the tall poppy. We don't want a negative bias to come in when when we're making a judgment at that person and maybe their activities weren't that egregious. So really there's kind of three people sometimes involved in the tall poppy syndrome, the cutter itself, the tall poppy, 
and maybe the person that's viewing the whole process. I'm wondering if you distinguish feelings from emotions. No, I think they're very similar. Most emotions are very hard. They're not tangible. They come from what we call the subcortical part of the brain, but they are quite complex, which is one reason they're hard to understand. They come from the subcortical region, but they do involve the cortex. And what the emotions do then is to drive a motor response. So if you think of fear, for example, you have what we call flight or fright. You're either going to fight the person or flee from them. And they set up a motor response. Your blood pressure goes up, your pulse goes up, your hair stands on end, your muscles become tense. So you have all kinds of intellectual activity going on as well as potential motor activities. So it's a little bit in the end, that's more than just a feeling. The emotions are frequently a call to action. And that would be to cut somebody down, perhaps. And most of the time, would you say unrealistic and based on fear? Yes. Fear is another what I call cutter, cutter emotion. That's the fight or flight. We want to duke it out with somebody, take them down. So you have to, once again, the psychologists look at it. emotions differently than the public. So if you have, uh, for example, anger is just like the envy. There's a good and a bad anger. So if we're, I'm playing basketball with somebody and they drive around me with the ball, uh, usually you have an internal anger because of that, because they now are taller than you are. They're better. They were able to drive by. So the person with good anger would try and improve themselves. They would train a little harder, do some sort of footwork to improve themselves. And the person with bad anger, the next time the person drives by them, they're going to trip them. So that's how you learn to look at society and your own self and behavior of others. And that does require some envy or evaluation of the other person, but that's how you actually improve yourself. That's the best way to improve yourself. See either the good action and want to emulate or the bad action and not want to emulate them. So in a way, feelings are natural, but emotions are the interpretation of those feelings. Sort of, yes. But it's a lot more complex than that, as you said. (laughs) Right, it's way more complex. Emotions actually are genetically inherited, but your culture and past experiences, I mean, if you're in a negative situation in a home, then the emotion becomes a big uh, cultural component. But you are, there is a hereditary aspect to emotions themselves. Then they're modified by culture and experience. Mm, true. And speaking of experiences in, in our culture, the world culture, it's social media. So talk to me for a moment about how social media makes the tall poppy syndrome worse. Well, social media is, first of all, social media is driven by envy. And so I call it the currency 
of social media is envy. So every time you open your Facebook, you're immediately confronted with an image of somebody. And that somebody frequently is out, uh, out and about, or they're having a nice meal and they show that nice picture. So you're comparing yourself to that person. And that is envy to start. So now you have two choices. You have good envy or bad envy. And unfortunately in society, uh, it turns into mostly bad envy. It lowers your self-esteem by looking at somebody having apparently more fun than you are having a better meal, having more fun. So uh, the social media is the main driver now of both uh, sort of the tall poppy syndrome and bullying, which is uh, kind of a kissing cousin to the tall poppy syndrome. In fact, they're kind of like jealousy and envy the people that do know a little bit about the tall poppy syndrome actually frequently confuse it with bullying but they are a little bit different but kind of the concepts are different the bullier tries to kind of beat down the person they're bullying and by beating somebody down it elevates their self-esteem or so they think they're better off to improve them by working on themselves not beating somebody else down. Absolutely. These are the lessons to learn for all of us. From what I understand, this human condition, this experience here, always goes back to self-knowledge and self-awareness. Yes, I think it's mindfulness now that they're calling it. I still call most of it self-awareness, self-aware of who you are. How is um, the TPS different in parts of the world. Like I come from Brazil, and I have seen that there too. Is that similar in some way, Brazil, Australia, New Zealand, United States, or they're all different? Yes, it's very different. It's very, every country, it's driven by their cultures. And the two, at least, that have been studied the most are in Australia of all the English-speaking countries, and that's because it's a very egalitarian society. And the other group that has been studied are the Scandinavian countries. And they're also, as a group, very egalitarian. So that has become the model of the uh, tall poppy syndrome. So in, in Australia, where it's been studied the most, the two main reasons for cutting people down are envy, the bad envy, and justification because of egregious activity of um, the tall poppy. Now, the Scandinavian countries look at it completely different. They actually have sort of commandments on how to be average. In the uh, 30s, a gentleman wrote a book about life in a small Danish town. It was called A Fugitive Crosses His Tracks by Axel Sandemors. And it was just a small town. And it was how all these people 
wanted everybody to be the same. And he actually wrote down 10 ways to become average or to suppress individuality or personal success. And that became the norm. I mean, it had been going on for centuries, but when he actually documented, it became the law of Dante. And that's how you don't grow tall. So those are the two main areas that people study, but it's very prevalent in all all countries, according to my work. In Japan, they call it uh, the tall nail gets pounded down. And in Holland, they say the tall wind catches all the, or the tall tree catches all the wind. So I've been to Brazil. Uh, I know a little bit about the country, and I know it's it has uh, the tall poppy syndrome there as well, even though people may not know about it. So I'm wondering here if they have seen these people who have actually approved the idea of tall poppy. Did they see a benefit to society? Well, the tall poppy is good for society because that's how you society progresses is to have a tall poppy. So in America, that's one of the reasons America was great was because we had so many tall poppies. They create, if you look at the business side of it, they created big businesses. Big businesses created the middle class. The middle class was able to buy cars, buy homes, buy food. And so it was our own tall poppies that sort of made America what it was. So in any in any country, it's good to have a tall poppy. That's who. That's how you improve yourself. It's it's looking at somebody else, deciding that they have traits that are better than your own, and you want to be more like them. So in the end, a tall poppy is good, um, but the tall poppy can become egregious, or you decide that you don't have that opportunity to become a tall poppy, so you change forces and you become negative and try and cut the person down to try and increase your own self-esteem. So it has two sides, you have the good side and the, um, the negative side. That reminded me of this uh, communism, in a way, the idea of cutting people, not letting them uh, be themselves um, and use their unique gifts. Well, that's, you know, communism is all about um, the tall poppy syndrome. They, the government absolutely does not want a tall poppy. And so when you look at the world, it's been a big, big aspect of, of our own world culture. And in South America, you, you have uh, a lot of dictatorships and mm -hmm. Dictators don't want other tall poppies. So as soon as you have a tall poppy, um, the tall poppy gets cut down because the dictator wants to stay in power. So when you look at the world, uh, we are so unique here in America. Uh, we don't have communism. We don't have socialism, which wants everybody equal. We don't have dictators. We have been blessed as a country to have this freedom 
freedom, what I call four, and have a wonderful lifestyle. True. Yeah, and I love being here <laughs> for this exact reason. What are some fields we see that happening the most, the tall poppy syndrome, the negative side? Well, the big things in America, once again, it's cultural driven. And in America, we have, our tall poppies are so high profile because of, of the internet and social media and TV and Hollywood. So, of course, those tall trees are going to get the most wind. And who is that in America? It's going to be politicians, people from Hollywood, people in sports, and, of course, the entertainment um, media group of people. So if you want some names, I can give you examples. Yeah, you could. But basically you're saying famous people. First of all, the tall poppy syndrome happens mostly within your tribe because it's people that you're familiar with. So people you work with, your neighborhood, the school system where your kids are. So it's your own envy and looking at people you know. So to be cut down, you don't have to be tall. The metaphor is about the tall so that you understand the tall, but the really the tall poppy syndrome is just as I think it happened to me, some people would say I wasn't that tall, and that's most likely true. But in the end, I do meet the criteria of sort of being cut down. So it does happen to small people, but the people that get all the infamy are really the tall poppies who have some level of achievement and are very well-recognized people in society. And those people fall the furthest, somebody like uh, Harvey Weinstein or Jeffrey Epstein that are in the news right now, they definitely, some people would say, well, they aren't tall poppies. Well, perhaps they are now, but at one time they had a lot of good features and somehow a lot of achievements. So they were at one time tall, but now they've certainly, by their egregious activity, been cut down. That is a sad thing that we have this tendency or this side not celebrating people around us for their success, but trying to actually bring them down. That doesn't make sense to me. It is. Well, that's because you're in America, and that's why it's a little unrecognized here. But that's exactly what would happen in the Scandinavians or Nordic countries, and that's what would happen in Australia. But that, speaking of the negative things, and the negativity at it, uh, of it, I actually am a little bit like you. I Most of the time when I see somebody cut down, I, I have a certain sadness every time I see somebody cut down. Sometimes not so much empathy, but uh, sometimes uh, I do have empathy, but almost every time somebody's cut down, I just have sadness in my heart about it, somebody's failures, which if you let me, there's one other concept that's associated with that. This has yeah. to do with people's behavior. And then once again, it's your own self-understanding. There's a, a word called schadenfreude, 
Have you heard of that? No, she, and that, yeah, I didn't even know how to pronounce it. Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. It's a German word. It's made, Germans are very interesting the way when they have a new, one thing about English, you know, we can just make up new words. It's very hard to make up a new word in, in Japan, for example, if you'll see a lot of kind of English words there, for example. So in Germany, they just add another word together to, they may end up with a word that's three or four words long. So schadenfreude actually means joy and harm. It's also envy driven. It's feeling good when somebody else uh, has something bad happen to them. So the example I always use is some tall poppies with their fancy cars driving down the freeway, going in and out of speeding by everybody on their way. And you're kind of perturbed. They pulled in front of you and you had to hit the brakes. And you get down the freeway five miles and you either see that person either pulled over by a policeman or else they have a little fender bender. And with that, you put a little smile on your face. So that is schadenfreude. And that, for the most part, is also part of the tall poppy syndrome. So when the tall poppy actually gets cut down, what happens? Some people feel good. That's how they build their self-esteem. And they feel happy about it. And that is actually then called schadenfreude. And when you think about it, that's what used to drive the entire movie industry. And I'm not even sure producers and directors in the industry itself, nor the public knew it. You went to a movie, the guy with the white hat always wins and good overcomes evil. And you walk out of the movie feeling great. And that was schadenfreude you were experiencing. So I have a few more questions for you. I call them final questions. But before that, let me mention this part here. If you would like to receive a complimentary advanced review copy of Douglas' book, The Tall Poppy Syndrome, you can sign up at doggarland.com and we'll have the link down below as well. So Douglas, before I ask you these final questions, would you like to add anything? Uh, no, I think I think we hit all the points uh, that I wanted to. Well, one point would be that remember that my we are different, so my tall poppy may not be your tall poppy. So you may think that President Obama was good, and somebody might think he wasn't. So your own bias comes in into. Defining the tall poppy. So when I first uh, started writing about it and discussing it with people, that that also was a big source of confusion was, well, they're not even a tall poppy. So it's the concept of um, the person has some prestige or that it's just within your own tribe. And if you kind of keep that in mind, you won't get confused. Yeah, that makes so much sense. That's good that you add that part. It goes back to our own perceptions and perspectives about life and others. My final questions, this next one's about success. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful? 
I think the old thing is just to be happy in your own skin, to think that you approached life and you did the best job that you you could. I think, you know, just that you, as Martin Luther King actually said it, uh, just so you serve. And serve what? I mean, perhaps it's serving God, serve humanity, serve the environment, but just so that you um, did the best you could do and serve whatever purpose you were trying to serve. If you knew you would die soon, meaning leaving the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? Uh, I tried to be better friends with people. I actually was a little bit of a workaholic and I would try to develop better relationships with people. Yeah. I love how genuine you are, Douglas. <laughs> That's wonderful. And my last question, what are three things about life you know for sure as of today? We're all going to be tested. Winning is not about having the most toys and Good times are always ahead. Thank you so much for your presence, your genuine presence, and for sharing your wisdom and this tool for healing. That's what I call these conversations I have in the conversation we had today, a tool for healing. Um, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Uh, DougGarland.com. It's D-O-U-G-G. A-R-L-A-N-D dot com. And it has all the information about the book. Also, that's my blog site. And also, I did publish uh, five articles in the medical literature about uh, the tall poppy syndrome among doctors. So that's all on your website. Okay. All on my website. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, Douglas. And we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Doug Garland, please visit his website, DougGarland.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.